This week on Three Questions with Corey Kareem. So get to the rum, find cool, sun's in his suit, he feels fly, great, fantastic. And I'm practicing, I do one last run through with my coach. And she's like, that was excellent. Except for you skipped two paragraphs. You <sighs> forgot two paragraphs. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I have been practicing for two months. I'm about to go on stage in like 20 minutes. Yeah, and I yeah. forgot two whole paragraphs. So yeah. now I'm freaking out. Now, before we get started with this beautiful conversation, please help a brother out and click on that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five, six or seven. I read the comments. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but rather than talk about people's wins or successes, we talk about their failures, more specifically, the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is an award-winning creative storyteller who's been seen on City Line, Your Morning Show, Breakfast Television, Metro Morning, and at TEDx Toronto, to name a few. She's the founder of Connection, an online global village of 20,000, which is a nonprofit providing culturally relevant programs and resources to educate and empower the Black mother and her family. Very powerful mission. She also launched an anti-Black racism consulting business called Color in White Spaces, which aims to change the conversation around diversity and inclusion by making it real and relatable. So without further ado, Tanya Hill, welcome to the podcast. I need like walk-on music or something. <laughs> yeah. what Do you have a walk-on song? Because I, I know you've touched quite a few stages. <laughs> I don't have one consistently, but I tend to just lean towards Beyonce because it's Beyonce. Right. And, uh, you know, just always channel her inner yeah amazingness and and put that energy out whenever do you, I, do you have a do you have a name for your alter ego because i know she had like what sasha fierce or something like that <laughs> so funnily enough uh yeah. a long time ago when i started blogging and i was like okay i'm not gonna put my real name on the internet um i went by amy Juicebox. amy Juicebox. amy winehouse at the time but i ah, wanted kid friendly got and, you uh yeah i had that uh has my um online alias for a minute <laughs> i like it i love it amy juice box okay um so tanya uh first of all thank you for taking the time out of your hectic schedule to to be on this podcast here today um so i know i just gave you a, a bit of a, a lightweight intro about who you are um but for my listeners that are not that familiar uh, why don't you give them a, a brief synopsis of you know who you are, what you're doing? Actually, if you can even touch on your inspo, like where where did that come from to getting this line of work? Oof. Okay, so um, I'm a storyteller, so everything is always a story. Um, my son was two. This is back in 2015, and we were at a splash pad together. And you know, black people, most black people 
don't think about sunscreen for themselves because we're like, ah, we're black. We don't, mm. we don't need it. But I was like, his sin is so, he's so small and the sun is so hot. And do they make sunscreen for black people was the mm. question myself. And like most uh, Gen X and millennial moms, I was in Facebook groups for moms, but they're not diverse spaces. You can't ask questions about blackness. And so I really just asked 12 of my friends, if I started this thing, would you join? And they said, sure. And mm. Black Moms uh, Connection was born in January 2015. Right. We went from 400 to 4,000 in two months. And then later in 2016, we created the nonprofit organization. So wow. the inspiration is um, life as a Black mother, knowing that there are certain things about parenthood that are universal. We all got to back to school shop. We all mm -hmm. got to you know, yeah. figure out how soon is too soon for a cell phone and when can they become latchkey kids. But there are very specific things that are unique to Black motherhood, Black parenthood, that we need a space to be able to talk about them freely and right. safely. And uh, that was the inspiration and um, had no idea that starting a Facebook group in 2015 would take me to the places it's been in the rooms that it's gotten me in. Wow. Um, and at the end of the day, Anyone who meets me, any platform I'm on knows that um, if it doesn't serve the moms and it doesn't serve the community and the community, black community at large, right. then I don't believe it. Wow. I love it. I love that. Um, and the power of Facebook groups. Man. Yeah. Especially um, like back in those days where yeah. once they got in and they saw, okay, this is a, this is a space because you know, black people yeah. want to be there. Once yeah. they got there and saw it was, it really was just black people and we can talk about anything, everything black. Then they're like, they would invite their whole, they're like, if they knew every single person, they would invite wow. their mom, their aunties, their cousins, their sisters, their friends, yeah. um, which is why we had such exponential growth in such a short period of time. Yeah. And why it keeps going is is because, you know, we take a lot of time and effort to gatekeep the space. And it's really hard to gatekeep right. spaces for Black people, um, especially because right. every day we're telling, you know, there's men who try to join, there's white women who try to join, and we're like, mm. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it's it's very, it's very important to us. Which is interesting. And so that's an interesting point, because I just saw a friend of mine, I have a, a WhatsApp group with a couple of my guys oh, we actually do this thing tell you where every month or maybe it's bi-monthly we kind of have like a like a mastermind group we challenge each other's uncertain ideas you know a bunch of grown black men get together and we just talk life right um, from our experience and uh, one of us shared I think it was an article and you might have come across this in the states I think in Texas uh, I believe, or is it Texas or Georgia? One of those Southern states where, uh, is it, a, I don't know if it's someone in Congress or, or, or a governor of some sort, I can't remember their political affiliation, but is suing a private equity, a black private equity firm for investing into, you know, black businesses. And I was like, wow, that is wild. Cause he was like, it's a form of, racism or discrimination i can't remember the exact wording he used so i, I wanted because i'm that made me think of that so i wanted to get your take on that so what's your what's your pov on that oh Corey, how long do we <laughs> so here's the here's the thing the the re recent ruling in in the u.s in regards to overturning affirmative mm -hmm. action which if people actually did research and actually read studies always mm -hmm. benefited white women the most interesting um, 
that is literal actual facts. That's not a hyperbole. How so? Please explain. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they got to use their gender as Mm. a way to get in, right? A lot of times when people talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, diversity to so many companies means gender. Got you. And it means race. Wow. And so, yeah, literally the studies are that white women benefited the most from affirmative action, which is so wholly ironic and, and whatnot. So in this particular case, what what's very funny and, and BMC gets this a lot is is this reverse racism idea. However, 0.2% of VC funding goes to black owned businesses and startups. So if that means that 98.8% of funding goes to white businesses, how, what, what are we stopping? Mm. Right. And so the problem with overturning the problem with just in general in society right now is everything is so hyperbolic mm-hmm. and you crack open a, a window and they bust the whole right even bust the door open they tear down the whole side wall of a house mm-hmm. to get what they want because now they're like oh we're we're being oppressed and we're being whatever and now the supreme court has just basically said you get to complain about being oppressed and take it all the way to the supreme court and win because also that recent ruling was based off of literally a fake case there was no um comp- i think it was supposed to be some website designer she wanted to be able to say no to a a gay person or whatever and mm-hmm. that actually does not exist mm-hmm. people, and people really need i really need us i know that there's so much competing for our attention right. but if we're to talk about an issue we really need to get deeper and the media is not is not always going to feed us what we need to see and know right. we need to if there's a source in the article, read the article's source, read right. the research paper. Do not read, just rely upon the media because the media is owned by an entity that doesn't, right? Like right. We to get a little bit smarter. So I'm just like, the Supreme Court just ruled on based on a fake case so that they can justify bigotry and hatred. And now right. they're like, oh, great, anything black. So they're going to come after the BETs. They're going to come after the NAACPs. And for us, you know, we get this all the time when we choose not to let in other people. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, there's probably 17 million groups on Facebook where right. one space that's not meant for you right. and unapologetic about it. Um, I and I'm just like, first of all, if you are and what happens the most often is white women who have children with black men. They right. want to enter the space because they see that they're mm. they feel that their black children should gotcha. allow them to black spaces. No, because you are a white woman and you are not ready for the conversations about how this would shape out with black women. Mm-hmm. You want to use black women to has your labor. If you don't have black women in your life authentically, despite having a uh, a black partner, then that is a bigger problem, which mm. is a problem. If you're procreating with a white woman and she doesn't have black friends, right? You guys are raising this black child together, this biracial child together, but she needs to try and infiltrate a space that's just for black women in order to talk about hair, to talk about culture, to talk about all the things that are going to come up in that young child's life. Right. You know what I mean? No one thinks these things through. They want to just have cute biracial babies. <laughs> they don't think about the social, economic, 
emotional, mental stuff that comes along with having right. a child slash biracial child. And those are very specific issues. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, you are more than free to create your own space. Right. Um, this is why these Black VC funds exist in the first place, um, because we are not getting funded. And no matter what we show up with, the best pitch decks, the mm-hmm. best uh, business cases, we are not getting funded because right. we don't know the right people or the dude bros don't understand or they think it's just for Black people or they don't think it's scalable. All the excuses in the world not to fund us. But you want to go after 0.2% of the funding mm-hmm. because 98% is not enough. Right. Crazy. Right. So I want to I want to play um, devil's advocate for one second because mm-hmm. I, I thought about this. And do you think it's when I looked at that particular uh, that recent case here where you had that I, I can't remember if he's a governor or senator or whatever his a political affiliation is. Do you think he was only able to do that based on a technicality that we have? It's they said we are only I don't know if they've actually said they're only supporting black businesses. But if they just said we support minority owned businesses, but they were, you know, uh, funding, you know, predominantly black businesses. Do you think had the approach been that way, would this man have been able to get that far? Because I also feel like you know, I'm a marketer like through and through, and I see how people can take certain words or phraseologies and spin them to fit whatever narrative that they're trying to push. So I even think of like when there was Black Lives Matter, a lot of people caught on to that bandwagon and a lot of people say, well, what about everybody? All lives matter. Right. So I think as a marketer, would it have been smarter to say Black Lives Matter too? Would that made that much of a difference always you're still going to have your haters regardless irrespective but like that one additional word could have like prevented all those other people of that you know that belong to other communities and 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 and, you know this that and the fourth so two things there words mean things um Mm -hmm. i'm a writer i'm a speaker i'm a storyteller so yes it would have drastically changed the um the feeling behind the phrase Black Lives Matter. If we had said Black Lives Matter too, it absolutely mm-hmm. would change certain things. Certain people would never have, never believe that anyways. Anti-Black racism is a global brand. Every mm-hmm. culture, country on the planet looks down on its darkest citizens, period, right. stop, Africa included. Right. So let's just like point blank period. Mm-hmm. No one is exempt from um, activating anti-Black racism. Right. Um, and in certain places, people will be like, well, that's technically colorism. Um, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the the VC funding, et cetera, it's always us that has to jump through hoops mm-hmm. in order to not offend mm-hmm. and not burn a bridge and not close ourselves off to funding. Um, no other no other group of people has to do that. Right. right? White people don't have to do that. Um, Asian people, South Asian people, Muslim, Jewish. There's so many groups of people that are allowed to serve their own um, without the same spotlight. So at the end of the day, you know, I think that it's going to be an interesting case because the Supreme Court just said you can discriminate who you serve as a business. They just said 
the graphic designer does not have to uh, design a website for a gay person. That bakery does not have to make a gay wedding cake. So why, so how are they going to play it that, oh, this VC funding is not allowed to discriminate, but the Supreme Court just said that they could. So it's going to be a very interesting case. Right. Um, and it's it's really sad that they have this much time on their hands when kids are dying and, right. you know, the earth is on fire. But, you know, that's that's white supremacy. It um it never takes a day off. And, and to be clear, I, I just want to clarify when you say uh, white men, are you talking about all white folks or are do you mean the certain white folks that subscribe to a certain mentality or or um, belief or thought process? I think that white supremacy is too ingrained in how white people get to move through the world, mm -hmm. regardless if they believe that they have privilege or not. Oh, I was grew up poor and I had to pull myself up from the bootstraps and this, mm -hmm. that, the other. I'm like, okay, but let's really talk about this. Mm -hmm. If we're going to talk about this, let's talk about it. Right. You're okay. So white kid grew up in, you know, low income, you know, whatever, this, that, the other parents, you know, maybe not like blue collar workers, whatever. I'm just mm -hmm. like, so many of the trades, they gatekept. They mm -hmm. only allowed other white men. They didn't allow women. They didn't allow minorities. So I'm just like, those blue collar jobs that people look down on, those right. six paying blue collar jobs were only going to white men. So even if you think, okay, well, I didn't grow up rich, so I don't have privilege, but you still have privilege. You right. can go into a bank and not be discriminated against. You can get a job, you can get a job and a car at 16 and not be followed by police. You can you can do so many things. Your ideas are heard in in um in the world. You represent the boards, um, all boards of directors for for-profit and non-profit companies, white right. male banks. I'm this like who makes the laws? Who runs the media? I'm this like who are the doctors? Who are make who are writing the textbooks? Every single thing about society, every single thing. And the funniest thing about race and racism is this: they're always saying, "Well, black people are always making things about race." And da, 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 da. I'm just like, mm -hmm. we didn't create it. We did not create the delineation of people based off of skin color. Mm -hmm. like, a construct. It is a construct. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying black. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with black people. What's wrong is using my skin color to assume things about my right. intelligence, about my capabilities, and about my capacities. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's internal problems within the black community, mm -hmm. but I still have to, I'm this like, if I have an excellent idea and MVP and all this stuff, but right. I don't have a white person on my board or I don't have a white person as part of my startup, I'm not getting the funding. That right. is just actual facts. Because who controls most of the VC funding is white men. Right. The dude from WeWork created WeWork, got billions and billions of dollars, wasted it. Pandemic happens. No one's going to WeWork and still can get millions and millions of dollars in funding for his future endeavors because, oh, he's such a genius. Elon Musk can buy Twitter for $44 billion, borrowed by the Saudis, by the way, run it into the ground, and he's a genius? Is he a genius? You're a marketer. How do you how do you mm -hmm. rebrand and you don't own the domain? You don't <laughs> own the handles. You still call things the icon, the home icon on Twitter is a birdhouse. Like mm -hmm. 
who planned this? But he's a genius. Is he a genius or is he just rich? Well, right? stop he's, he's waiting. It's funny. With it's funny. You, it's funny you bring that point out because I, I had that debate with I think someone we have as a mutual friend. And my thing is this: um, Elon is a very erratic individual, and I think like I, I read his book, and I understand like where his beginnings come from and. There's a lot that goes on in there. And so I was saying, like, his, if you judge him on the sole acquisition play out of Twitter X, whatever it's called now, then no, it doesn't look that way. But if we talk about, yes, he wasn't the original founder, founder of PayPal. He had a piece of technology, and there was another guy that had another piece of technology, which what is what made PayPal. And you talk about what he's done with Tesla and SpaceX. I, I would put him in the, the genius category. Wow. I, I know some people disagree with that, but um, but Elon's a different story. Uh, I don't want to go down the the Elon the wormhole because that that's a, an entire conversation. It's just an um, example, right? At the end of yes. the day, he gets to make all these failures. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a black tech company be different? And you know what I mean? The standards in which white men are 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 seen as the standard and able to fail upwards, mm-hmm. and black people never get to do that. Right. You know what I mean? And most minorities don't get to do that. Right. We're not given $44 billion to ruin an app that is really important. Mm-hmm. Right. We think about the last five, five to 10 years on Twitter, the Egypt revolution. Right. I remember. Saying, you know, right now there's there's um, fires in Yellowknife. Mm-hmm. Evacuating Yellowknife. Mm-hmm. And people and, and there's People are escaping into the ocean out in Hawaii. And Twitter used to be a really important way for official government platforms to say, here's what happened. That message, yeah. And now it is not. And I'm just like, you always have to follow the money. Who does it benefit when the public can't get access to information? Right. right. Always follow the money. Does that make him a genius or does that make him a puppet? Because mm. it's not his money, it's the Saudis. Mm-hmm. To be wholly clear, again, mm go deeper than what the media just tells you, right? And I hate sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm like, I think when you, I think there's a certain generation that actually did read things. Mm, <laughs> no, that's fair. I, and, I I agree with you on that for sure. You know, I I, I went to school for four years, study yeah. sociology, which means I had to read papers and yeah. read sources and go to a library and bibliographies. And so I think for me, I'm just like, it was never just taking the first link right. on, on on google has face value you have right. to dig deeper dig dig, dig deeper now 1, we have ai we've got pictures and videos and things i'm just like we i'm just like we are entering a very different era of truth and in information mm. and i'm just like who is behind these things look at right. crypto crypto made a whole bunch of white people and asian people rich and once it started trickling down and black people decided that they wanted to get into it now it's not a thing that can make money anymore. Right. It's always, so oh, I'm going to share this with my homeboy in the WhatsApp group or the Slack group and on the golf course and in the boardroom. And then once it becomes something available to the masses, it's no longer a moneymaker. Mm. And that's consistent. Every single time that there's a big GameStop, who made money from that GameStop run? And mm. then who got to, who tried to get in on the tail end, put their money into GameStop and made four, $4, right? right? And it's like, this is not... Again, this is not conspiracy. This is legitimately facts. 
Mm. Who is you have to always follow the money, always mm. follow the money. So let me ask you this, just to to clarify: Are you saying so? The privilege thing is is undebatable. I think you know if you are born of a skin, a certain skin color, you know, let's just be real. If you are born white, if you're a Caucasian individual, a man specifically, you have you do have some form of inherent privilege that is that is undeniable so no question there but my my where i'm seeking clarification from your pov tanya is is it possible to still be in your pov to be a white male and not be racist basically to rephrase the question is it possible to be a privileged white caucasian male and not be racist in your pov i don't think all white men are racist Mm -hmm. i would never say that I think that all white males benefit from a white supremacist system, mm-hmm. a patriarchal okay. system that they create and uphold. Right? Capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy are not created. First of all, all three of those things are together. White supremacy is, is rooted in capitalism. Capitalism is rooted in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they wouldn't have burned down Black Wall Street if it was just about capitalism. They did not want to see rich black people. Mm. So do I say that all white people are racist? No, I would never say that because I don't believe in, in hyperboles like that. Mm-hmm. I think that in North, first of all, everyone is born with some sort of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody. And I know that the black man listening to be like, I'm a black man. I don't have any privilege. You're still a man. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's still male privilege. Oh, you have privilege over me, Corey. Mm -hmm. I'm a black woman. I'm going to be seen as less than because of my race and my gender. Mm -hmm. Right. I have two strikes against me and you have one. When you Mm -hmm. walk into a room, when you go into a boardroom or whatever, if you and I walk into a boardroom together and we're doing a pitch, even though it's my company, they're going to look to you. Oh, you must be the founder. Because I'm a male. Because you're a male. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's a man approaching you. Right. And sometimes even if it's a woman, they're Mm going to automatically assume that you're the lead. Correct. Even if you were just some, maybe you are my assistant, mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm. But there, that's not the inherent immediate reaction. I understand. So I say that we have to, um, when people complain about feminism and when people complain about this at the other and all this infighting that happens online and in social media, right. at the end of the day, I'm just like, everyone has privilege. Right. Um, there's a story, there's a, a, a black man. He came across my timeline the other day and broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, t- he's an adult teaching himself how to read right. because he, he just was not um, guided by the school system or his parents, I guess, when he was young. And there's a study, I think the average reading um, level uh, in America is sixth grade. My son's wow. going to sixth grade in September. And wow. it, first of all, it breaks my heart. Um, he was just so he's like, I should know this. And he's crying and he's emotional and he's vulnerable and it's beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time because I'm like, so many people failed this young man. Mm. Um, but I'm like, I have privilege. I can read and I can write. Mm. I have internet access. I have a car. I have right. a driver's license. I have my. I have all five senses. I can see. I can hear. Right. I don't have any neurodivergence. We all have some level of privilege. Right. It's what do we get to do with it? Mm-hmm. How do we get to activate it? How do we employ it? How do we use it to lift others up? How do we use it to oppress other people, right? right? And 
most people are not taking the time to be that self-aware and ask themselves those questions. Those hard questions are uncomfortable, right? right? Yeah. But it's important. And a lot of a lot of folks, especially white folks, were just like, "No, I grew up low income. You know, I grew up poor and blah 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 and bootstraps and this that the other." And I'm like, okay, you can still go into a bank and probably get your business funded with eighty percent of the ideas. Mm. I can have one hundred percent and still not get the same level of funding. So I think that um, it's it's a challenge. And the problem is right now in society, everyone is just so like quick to anger and point fingers and, and speak right. in hyperbole and troll and far right, far left. And all, all of it is just rooted in not wanting to face your own um, limitations and privileges and um everyone wants to play the oppressions olympics and i'm like guys the earth is on fire <laughs> literally the orcas are getting in formation in the ocean and saying right. please get out of my house and yeah. the earth is literally on fire yeah. and we're here arguing about bathrooms like we are not serious as a as a human race and it's just so ridiculous right and you know one thing to add to your whole privilege argument Another privilege that I realize is I remember something my basketball coach said to me years ago. It's like you realize how lucky you are just being born on this side of the world. Yeah. Like where you're born, the family that you're born into, yep. those are inherent privileges because life could be completely different if we were born somewhere yep. else in the world. Like, so I having think having a Canadian passport yes. is a huge privilege. Mm -hmm. We can go almost anywhere on the earth and mm -hmm. be received. Mm -hmm. We can. I can pick up and move to Portugal tomorrow and call myself an expat. Yes, I'm yeah. not an immigrant, mm -hmm. right? But um, it's a huge, huge. Yes, and just by rights of where you were born, something that you didn't even have control over, mm -hmm. right? And and Canada is is really good. I I always say Canada is America with better PR. <laughs> That's because, interesting um, because we are really good. Yes. Canada and we're multicultural. Oh, and yes. Everybody and this. Oh, got me started. Free healthcare and da, 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 da. I'm just like residential schools literally started here. Mm -hmm. So we literally tried to wipe out an entire human race of people. That's mm -hmm. Right. We're really good at welcoming people here. And then when they get here. Yeah, you were a doctor in India, but mm, we don't know about your school. We don't know that what you really studied. So you're going to be a doctor who's driving an Uber. You're mm. going to. An, an African who has to open a shop. I'm just like, mm, even though we had a nurse shortage, oh, now they were like, wait, we had a nurse shortage and we have a whole bunch of nurses from other countries. Maybe if we just certify them, then we won't have a nurse's shortage. Took mm -hmm. them the pandemic mm -hmm. to stop gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, we are very, I'm just like, we're very good at talking a really good game yeah. about how good we are as mm -hmm. a country. Canada could be the best country on earth. And should be, mm -hmm. but we keep electing people who don't have our best interest at heart. And then we just, oh, okay, well, I guess the next election we're going to whatever. There's right. people who've made their whole personality hating on Trudeau. And I'm just like, guys, do you realize that the majority of our lives is governed by the province? Health, mm -hmm. schools, roads, all those is not federal. Mm -hmm. That is provincial. That's but a good point. That's a good point. The smoke for Ford that we should that people have for Trudeau. I'm like, okay, so last point. Sir, did you apply? 
did you take it or did you give it back? Oh, no, you took it and you didn't give it back. Mm. Parents, are you giving back your monthly child tax benefit because you hate Trudeau so much? No, you are not. You are taking that federal money to help you with school and snacks. So please, let's be realistic about it. You don't have to like him. You don't have to like his policies. You don't have to. Yeah. I'm. This is not a pro-Trudeau thing. What I'm saying is have smoke equally for the government officials 1, who are not serving you. Everything is personal. And politics is personal. And everyone who's just like, oh, I'm not political. I'm just like, politics, you're political whether you yeah. want to be or not. You don't mm-hmm. have a choice. Because I'm just like, either you're uninformed and they're they're governing you, or you're informed and they're still governing you. But you're still right. being governed. Right. Don't live in an ungoverned place. That we are true. all political, right? I'm I'm just a parent. I want to send my kid to school. But they might go on strike. That's going to make me political because I have to pick the stand. Do I stand True. with teachers who deserve to get paid to right. educate their children? Or do I stand with the government? Mm-hmm. That is forcing me as a political. parent. And P.S. I will always stand with the teachers because, again, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. learning, do, being home, doing that homeschool foolishness, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I would rather <laughs> stand than ever have to do that again. Right. I, no, I'm I heard. Student, I'm a terrible teacher. And my son and I, he, he does not learn from me. Right. He, sorry. My job is to teach, not to educate. And there's a very big difference. Mm. And I'm just like, my job is to teach him things, life lessons, gotcha. uh, skills, all sorts of other things. And help him with his homework and obviously like guide him through life. Right. But I cannot, I can't sit down and textbook and math. It, it is not my strong suit. He, him and I don't have the patience with each other that is required. It's like, Long gone are the days where you can just wake up, send your kids, put them on a bus, send them to school. They come home, they do homework, and you're not engaged. You have to be engaged. You have to know when the trustee election is. You have to know who the trustees are. You have to know who your your the principal is. You have to know so many things. Literally, being a human being on planet Earth, everything is political. Everything. Mm. is political. Fun things. Even if we don't want it to be. Yeah, that's that, that's a fair point. That's that's a fair point. You can't hide your hand head in the sand. I'm like, there's right. gonna be an election coming. So parents have always had the ability to opt out out of certain things. Mm. But again, it's the people in the media and the news and on socials and yelling and ranting and raving and oh, we don't want the five year olds to learn about sex and this that the other. And I'm like, everything is age appropriate. Do you think a curriculum just gets written by whomever and it doesn't go through any type of approvals? Do you well, know to how? Your- have to look at a curriculum before it is decided to be a curriculum but most importantly mm-hmm. most importantly and i'll let you speak mm-hmm. sexual education is about health mm-hmm. health and when you teach children proper terminology it's not the pp and it's not the hoo-ha and it's not the pom-pom yeah. it's a penis and it's a vagina what that does is protect children from sexual abuse because if they are touched and they don't have the proper terminology and it goes to court, they can throw that case out because mm-hmm. what is a what is a ton ton? We we black people we know we know what these certain things are. That is not the real word. So do you want sexual abusers to get away with sexually abusing children because they don't have the right words? No, you do not. 
We want children to have the proper terminology. It is a penis. There's nothing wrong with the word penis. It's a right. vagina. There's nothing wrong with the word vagina. It is a body part. It's like an arm, it's a leg, it's a hair. These are body parts. We need to have children growing up, learning the right body parts and the right terminology so that if something happens to them at camps, in swimming, in, in Boy Scouts, at school, at their uncle's house, they have the proper terminology to say, mom, dad, I was touched on my, my private parts by X. You want your children to be able to do that. You need to give them the proper language. And everyone's saying it should be up to the parents. Most parents are not talking to their children about sex because they're right. uncomfortable. They don't want to do it. So if you don't want the children to learn at school and you're not doing it, so you want your children to learn about this, where exactly? On the internet? You want you want to give your 12-year-old a phone and, and give them access to YouTube where they can Google Andrew Tate and they can Google all sorts of things and get incorrect information. Then you want these women to grow up feeling like there's a reason why most women don't orgasm. There's a reason why sex mm. to bed is just when I orgasm and ejaculate, that's the end of sex. It's not about being into, you know what I mean? There's so many piece, things that, where do you expect people to learn the languages? Right. It's like sexual, sex health education is more than just about the of sex. It is right. about the body. It is about how do you have a sexual voice? How do you say no to a boy who's pressuring you about to, to lose your virginity? Mm -hmm. If you haven't been given that language the entire time, she's going to say, oh, she's just going to say, okay, well, I might as well. Right. One in four girls will experience sexual assault in their lifetime. One in four. But we don't want to do sex ed in schools. And I don't even know the stats on boys, but I know boys get sexually assaulted. And it's brushed under the rug and it's laughed at. And, oh, I, I lost my virginity to my, my babysitter when I was 11. I'm like, you were sexually assaulted, sir. You were sexually abused. Because I can guarantee you I would murder someone who tried to sleep with my son. He's 10. He's not supposed to be losing his virginity. He's supposed to be asking me for PlayStation games. Right. But we don't, you know what I mean? So it goes deeper than that. So to answer your question, have I ended the friendship with that person? No. But did I give her all of this information? Mm -hmm. Yes. Does she regret her vote? Yes. Mm. Because when she goes to the hospital with her mom and it's closed because he's not funding hospitals and he's not funding nurses, that's the consequences of elections. You you might choose to not vote for Trudeau because of the not being able to get a plunger three years ago, but the there's going to be a consequence to it. Well, to to be fair on my point, that was my starting point. Right. I never I never had a care and I didn't really care for Canadian politics to begin with. To just be honest with you, because I always find like I've lived in three different countries, and I've always just found and again I don't I don't have a child. Um, so some of the parenting issues and challenges that parents go through, obviously I don't go through. And I always feel like Canada is one of those places where I, I, I personally believe this. If someone was to take you out of the society and you were to be in a place where there was no media television and you were completely cut off from the outside world and they were to drop you back in Canada without you reading anything, the question I ask is, would you know which politically, which political power uh, which political party, excuse me, is in power. And I think for most of us, we wouldn't know unless you were reading things and seeing things. Then you know, I think after a while, if you dig a little bit deeper, you could you could probably figure it out. 
but I feel like Canada's is is typically good. It's a good it's never too bad. It's never like completely the other way. At least that's been my lived experience uh so far versus other countries that I've lived in where there there definitely there definitely is a difference when one party gets into power versus others where I feel like Canada one is kind of like one A and one B a, a little bit. That's just been my experience. So let me let me ask you this. this is my my last question on this particular topic because I know we'd be going down this. But... <laughs> we have to come back and record the actual <laughs> conversation we were. No, 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 the conversation is the conversation. Um, I listen. I lately in my journey as as hosting, I've learned to go with the flow. That's where that's that's what drives the best kind of in conversation for me personally. So. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we've just very had a, a very in-depth conversation about like race and, and politics. So do you think it always comes down to race? Because lately I've also been reading that maybe socioeconomic status plays more of a factor than race itself. But again, do, is it always about race for, for you and your POV? No, not at all. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, here's what I know about me. Mm-hmm. I'm a black woman. Mm-hmm. I'm a single parent. Mm-hmm. So I know what society, what black men mm-hmm. think about me, mm-hmm. what my status should be, that on welfare, mm-hmm. all sorts of other things, blah, blah, blah. Tons of stereotypes and preconceived notions about me as a black single mother. I currently reside in one of the richest parts of the city. Um, my son plays chess and basketball. Tell him. Tell him. <laughs> uh, hey, he has stocks. He has his own stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot about me that defies what society thinks about me. Right. Um, and a lot of the things that I have is as a result of where I live, where I choose to live, where I choose to pay very expensive rents for very specific reasons. What do I want my son to have access to? I want him to have access to the best possible education, a school that is clean and safe. And there's downsides to that. He's a chocolate chip in the cookie. He's one of very few black kids at that school. And I know what that life was like. I grew up in Aurora. So I'm Mm. very much aware of the experience. But that means it is my job as the parent to make sure, one, that he knows his black skin is not a limitation. Mm. To let other people put that limitation upon him that right. he belongs anywhere and everywhere. And to be proud of himself as a little black boy who's going to become a black man. That is my number one Love job it. in life. He can learn math at school. He's not going to yeah. learn math. They change math. It's common core. It's really ridiculous. I'm like, why right. would you change math? <laughs> my job is to make sure that, that that little boy is healthy physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally, yeah. and his blackness is not a hindrance, is not a limitation, but also letting him know that other people are going to. We've already had the talk. We know about this. You know about this as a black man. Mm-hmm. Every single black parent has to have the conversation with their children about race and right. race specifically. Mm-hmm. We don't have a choice in the matter. So for me, I'm just like, you don't get to get in trouble the same way that your classmates do. Right. You don't get to do certain things. You don't get to say certain things. You don't get to whatever. But when he gets an invitation to a birthday party at the Granite Club, 
one of the most exclusive private clubs in the country. And right. I show up with a birthday gift that those rich parents couldn't even buy. I'm let I'm saying subtly to those parents, you may never see a, a dad for for my son. You may you may think certain things of me as a black single mother, but I promise you, I promise you, my son will always belong. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. No, that's beautiful. So Tanya, to 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 pivot slightly here, um, you know, this podcast, we we do like to focus on or at least have a conversation about going through difficult times, whether that's in your professional career, uh, your personal life. So if you could share with my listeners uh, a difficult experience or challenge that you went through, you know, what was it? How did you overcome it? And most importantly, what lesson did you learn from that particular experience? Um, to, I guess, cheat code, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I know it was a struggle for everybody and still is, yeah. by the way, it was still out there. Absolutely. Um, may not be killing people in the same rates, but mm-hmm. don't know the long-term effects of anything. And we're going to have a generation of people who are unwell physically and mentally because of COVID. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I lost my whole business. Mm. I could have pivoted to virtual events, right. but I didn't want to. I didn't have the, I'm this like, I've been planning in-person events since 2004. Wow. I love, I love the carpet. I love the car, the vacuum lines on the red carpet. I love hearing the AV text do the tech chest. I love the, the, the perk, the coffee percolating. I love when the room is set and the candles are lit and everything is ready and it's quiet before the doors open. The textures of events is what made me an excellent event planner. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to translate that to virtual. And I didn't feel like learning a whole new set of skills in order to pivot in X, Y, and Z. And it was a challenge because events has been what I've done for, for a really long period of time. It was my primary career. Mm-hmm. Um, the the great thing is I had other skills. I could write, um, public speaking. But I think the most important lesson is two things. One, you have to put out there what you're doing and who you are so that people can um, support you, right? I ended up in the Globe and Mail because another Black woman she put my name forward to write an article. Um, so many of the opportunities, speaking engagements, writing opportunities, et cetera, are a result of Black women saying, Tanya would be excellent for that. Right. And say that because here's the thing. It's not just about those women putting my name forward. It's the fact that they know I'm going to take their recommendation and make sure not only do I make good on my name, I make good on theirs. Because mm. if I if I mess it up, it's right. their reputation. It's not just mine. Right. So now I have two reputations to to manage. Protect. Yeah. To, yeah. To protect. And people forget about that part. When you ask someone for a reference or whatever, mm-hmm. that person's putting their name on the line for you. And you decide you don't want to show up or you decide you don't want to do the work and you decide whatever X, Y, and Z. And I know that life happens. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, in the last four years, so I am not the same person. I'm an right. orphan. I had to grieve and mother through being motherless. There's a ton of things that happened, but I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm this like people knowing that 
I like writing and, you know, putting me forth for opportunities or I want to do more public speaking and, and trying to, to do certain things, um, making introductions, all these other things, just being out there authentically. I'm not trying to sell anything. I always think I'm like, okay, I'm going to get serious about my Instagram and I'm going to have pillars and all sorts. And every single time I come up with a plan, there's a re I'm just like, I keep not doing it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why do I keep being so resistant to curating my Instagram so I can build up my followers and make myself an expert and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, I'm just like, that's not what my life is. My life is not nine. There's nothing nine to five about my life. Mm. This week I'm at Nike camp next week. It's soccer camp the week mm. after it's chilling. And then the week after it's school right. and then seasons are Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors are starting in October mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all bets are off. So it's just like, there's so many different things um, and I'm like, I'm building relationships. Like I call it one of my superpowers. Mm, because I, like I think it's really important that everyone, even like LinkedIn and all these things, people want to be, people want to make their relationships transactional from the very beginning. What can mm. you do? For me? How can you put me on? What can you, whatever? I always, I go to funders, anybody. I'm like, what do you need? Cause you know what I know? Everyone's got a boss. Everyone's mm -hmm. got metrics and KPIs that they're accountable to. Mm -hmm. So when I have a conversation with a funder and I'm just like, what are you guys, what's your goal for this year? What are you guys trying to achieve? Okay, well, we're working on this. Maybe we can partner up or maybe I can help you um, convene these people and I can take that off your plate. So in that way, I'm making your life easier. Right. You make someone's life easier, their workday easier. Yeah. Once love you and they're going to, write that check and they're going to give you that raise or that promotion because you have shown yourself to be valuable. You have shown that it mm. wasn't about the immediate transaction. Right. I have friends in the prime minister's office and people are always just like, why don't you, I'm just like, I'm saving my ass for a big ass. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can I get a, can I get a, no. Gonna cash in those points. I'm be like, I would like $3 million to start a chapter <laughs> center, please. I love it. I love it. And so strategic. Like, you know what? We've been we've been building a relationship for a couple of years and now there's a grant. And while they can't just give me the three million dollars, they can guide me. Right. 100%. They can look at my maybe they can look at my application before I submit it. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said about the relationship aspect. I feel like in general, a lot of people don't prioritize building relationships. And in addition to that, when they are looking at doing that, they tend to be transactional first. And that's even a lesson that I had to kind of learn myself as a journey, just because of the nature of my profession being in ad sales. I'm used to, you know, operating on a specific timeline, right? Where I need to move something to an, a different stage, 50%, 75%, 100%. And so that's something I had to teach myself, right? And that's a language I recently started adapting, which is you know, what can I do for you? I was at a networking event, Derek Caravan, a weekend, and literally that's all I said. How can I help you? How can I be of service to you? Mm -hmm. And I, I like, I love leading uh, with that approach. Now, Tanya, you mentioned that, you know, you are a speaker. I know TEDx Toronto is something that you did not too long ago. Um, and so I find that everyone wants to be a TEDx speaker, including myself. I'm not even going to front. It's something I've, I've dreamed about. I thought about it, you know? Uh, so my question to you, Ty, is was it, what, like, what does it take to make mm. it to the TEDx stage? What does it take? Um, so let me, 
I'm I'm very I love being transparent. Mm-hmm. Like I I will pull the curtain back every single time. So here mm-hmm. is the process. It's funny because I was just going through my Instagram the other day and I came across the reel that I made because mm-hmm. I had someone enter my DMs. They're like, "How did you get?" I was like, "How did you get a TEDx talk?" And I'm like, first of all, I mean, just get one. That's mm-hmm. there. I was so offended by how they asked it because they're like, "Oh, I have a friend that I want to pitch," and it was like two weeks beforehand. And I'm like. You think that you're going to pitch a friend two weeks before the, we we go on stage? I'm like, you don't know anything about the process. So here's mm-hmm. the process. Well, here was my process. Let me not say the process. 2018, I was um, I had a friend. She was um, working with uh, TEDx Don Mills. Right. And she's just like, I think you'd be, she's like, you're dynamic. You're great. You speaking, whatever. I want to see you on a TEDx stage. And TEDx always has a theme. So mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out how, how does my life story or the story that I have fit with the specific theme for that particular neighborhood, right? So it okay. had to be very niche. So had the conversations didn't work out. I want to say maybe um, 2019, we attempted again, didn't work out. In 2021, um, a friend of mine, um, he's now on the volunteer committee for TEDx Toronto. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want to put your name forward um and whatnot and how it works is people submit uh potential speakers and battle it out there's only so many spots it has to fit the theme it has to fit what tedx wants it's not about elevating me as a speaker it's about fitting what tedx wants for tedx toronto specifically wants for that particular year right so he pitched me and i it wasn't successful and i was just like i was just happy to have my name in the room and right. I know people say that, but in this case, I was legitimately serious. Mm-hmm. Following year, so now we're in 2022. So the very first time I've ever had any conversations with anybody was 2018, people. Mm-hmm. Pre-pre-pandemic. Right. Four attempts now. I think you're going on so to four. We're on the fourth attempt. Right, right. And I'm pitched and whatnot. And, you know, nothing happens. I don't have to do anything. He just mm-hmm. says, are you interested? The answer is always Yes. Um, cause get ready. Don't, you know, stay mm-hmm. ready. Don't get ready. Mm-hmm. And then he called me. He's just like, do you want to do a TEDx talk? And mm-hmm. bawled my eyes out and called my besties. And I'm like, I'm finally going to be able to say thank you for coming to the TED talk. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, okay. So that was January, February, 2022. Next step is you're assigned a coach. Um, again, most, most things for TEDx is volunteer. Um, so the coach is someone who is assigned to you to help guide you through the process. Right. So you, you, you know, they kind of have a vague idea about what you're going to speak about, but nothing is um, specific and concrete. So you write an outline. Mm-hmm. What's the point? What's the goal? How does it tie into the theme of what TEDx has for the year? In my particular year is about renew. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do an outline mm-hmm. and then you write a script. And then you practice mm-hmm. um, the table read in front of all the coaches. They critique mm-hmm. you where you can, you know, cut what you need to edit, this, that, the other, have conversations. Um, and then you edit your script. You do another table read. You know, you have some lessons on emphasis, pause, right. uh, all these other things. There's right. so much more to it than just speaking. And I've seen the joke where it's like, oh, all TEDx speakers sound alike. And it's because the thing is, at the end of the day, you're telling a story. Right. And a good storyteller does know when to. Dramatic pause, all of that. Dramatic pause, 
the word that in a sentence, the sentences change based off right. of what word you choose to emphasize. So right. it's knowing that and understanding that. And it has to follow a certain thing. I'm a great speaker. I can freelance off the dome, yeah. you know, 45 minutes, talk about whatever. But yeah. that is a very specific timeline. It's eight mm -hmm. to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell the story in the way that it's been written. Right. So after that second table read, that's now maybe March. When did I do it? May 18th. So maybe March. And the mm -hmm. next two months is practicing because you have to memorize it. Mm -hmm. There's no cards. There's no prompter, nothing. It is you and your words and a mic on a stage for seven to 10 minutes. minutes. I'll tell you that was the hardest part for me. Because mm. being on stage was the hardest oh, part. The memorizing. The memorizing got you. Because again, I'm just like I could talk. Yeah. MC story, say less. Tell BMC story in a very specific way with the cadence in the time. Don't speak too fast, but you can't be too slow. Right. All those things are going through my mind, and I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm practice. I'm just like, hey, besties, can we get on a Zoom call? And I practice. Right. In a, a a Queen's course on communication, I went back to my prof. I'm like, can I practice with you? I was just practicing. I was practicing, practicing, practicing. I read it. I had it printed. Right. I went to bed and practice. May comes. Um, it was the first one also in person um, post pandemic. Right. It's so funny. You know, we talk about what the universe has for you is for you. I'm grateful I got it when I did. Right. Because I wouldn't have wanted to do it in 2021 virtually. Mm. I needed the audience. Got you. I needed to be in person. Right. So get to the ROM, find cool, sun's in his suit, he feels fly, great, fantastic. And I'm practicing. I do one last run through with my coach. And she's like, that was excellent. Except for you skipped two paragraphs. You <laughs> two paragraphs. I'm like, oh, snap. what? <laughs> I have been practicing for two months. I'm about to go on stage in like 20 minutes. Yeah, and I yeah. forgot two whole paragraphs. So yeah. now I'm freaking out. Wow. Because this thing is live. It's live streamed. There's an audience. My son's right. in the front row. And I'm like, holy yeah. So I get up, they call my name, they do my intro. I'm walking across the stage. And I will tell you, Corey, I've done a lot of things in my life, done some scary things, done some foolish things. I was like, every single step I was taking, I'm like, I regret every single decision. <laughs> At this point, what the hell, Tanya? Wow. Scared shitless. Because I've spoken before. That's not the problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very different level. Yes, of course. So stand on that little red carpet and I start a little shaky because mm -hmm. when I, I've rewatched it a couple of times and I'm just like, I start out and my voice is a little, little shaky. Um, but I got my, I got going. Bearings, got yeah. And the part that I thought would have gotten me emotional talking about my son is not what got me. It was talking about my little brother. And mm -hmm. you know how many times I've practiced this thing and I've never gotten emotional? But now I'm in this stage and I'm talking about this situation about my son being called a monkey by his third grade teacher and having to see my mom activate that. That's the part where I start to get choked up. Tanya and her mind, you're so together. You are not allowed to fall apart in the middle of your TEDx talk. Mm. But again, the part where it's so key to have the audience is that they clapped me through, they applauded me through it. Right. So I was able to take that brief moment, take a breath mm -hmm. and oh, keep wow. going. Right. And be mindful.
when they like laughed at whatever joke, I'm like, that was another, mm -hmm. you're, you're going, you're doing it just, yeah. but in my mind, I'm like, Tanya, just, just keep talking and make <laughs> get through it. I was like, I need to get through this eight minutes. I really don't want to be on this stage anymore. I don't want right. to do anything. And then it's done. And um, so I say to people, it was one of the most challenging. It wasn't hard. Mm -hmm. It's not hard, but it's very much a challenge. Right. It challenges your um, ability to write. Mm -hmm. Grateful, I, 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 I wrote my script before my outline, and my coach mm -hmm. was like, I need to go backwards," and I was like, oh, "Fine, mm -hmm. right? Um, you can't skip skip steps with that. There's no rushing through the process. Mm -hmm. It is go in order." and and whatnot and um when it was done i was just grateful that it was done and it's a, a thing that it's a, a title that i hold that um helped me increase my speaker rate and right. um elevated me in, in a certain regard um and it took a while to come out so it was may we did it and you know finally we're seeing things later on that summer and they're like the reason why yours took so long me and two other speakers is because tedx wanted to post it on their channel. Ooh. It wasn't just TEDx Toronto, it was TEDx, which is wow. huge. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. And once I got to the YouTube link, it already had like 76,000 views. I was like, what? That's insane. What, yeah. what are those people? Um, and then later on, I want to say in September, I was on LinkedIn, not my own business. And there's a person who her pet project is just kind of aggregating all the information about TEDx talks. Uh, it's a passion project of hers. And she told me that my TEDx was top five in the world that month. And I'm like, that doesn't wow. make any sense. Wow. It makes no sense. None whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm so immensely proud of that but you don't just get a TEDx talk. You have to work and it might take a minute. Right. And it is a privileged stage to be on. It's a privileged title to hold. It yeah. comes with a lot of responsibility. I couldn't wear white or black or red. I was like, yeah. oh, the wardrobe was a struggle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is the TEDx um, process. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And one last thing on that was um, you talked about feeling this kind of, I would like to call it anxiousness. Do you have a hack for dealing with like nervousness or anxiousness, a quick hack you could share? Because I, I suspect like all people who have some form of speaking obligation, whether it be in their, you know, nine to five, their business or what have you. Do you, I just want to know if, if Tanya has a, a hack that she uses before she goes into a room or into a boardroom or on a stage of some sort. I think that I don't have any hacks. Mm -hmm. What I remind myself is athletes get nervous before every single game. Mm. I'm I'm in a privileged position to to be around athletes a lot in my day job. And, you know, the habits that they have, the jumping up and down and the wiping the bottom of the shoes and, you know, the flexing of the hockey stick and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, those are all, they're working through their anxiousness. They've been playing some of these Cats have been playing this sport their whole lives. But before a game, they still get, there's still nerves. So if, if you don't have any, are you are you doing the right thing? I'm always nervous. 
I'm nervous before a Zoom presentation. I'm nervous in a round table with 10 people. Mm -hmm. um, I think the level of nervousness is, is negated by your level of preparation. Mm -hmm. you know you've got it. You know your information. You know that you can hold your own. You know that you can come with facts and stats. We didn't start, we didn't plan to have a conversation about politics and <laughs> race and whatever, but I was able yeah. to, anyone is able to fact check me. Yeah. And I'm always very much like, if I got my stats wrong, please call me out. Mm -hmm. But because I read a lot and because I'm, I'm engaged or whatever, I'm just like, nah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I love a receipts. <laughs> so I'm just like, no one, for me, when it comes yeah. to Black Moms Connection, no one will ever tell that story better because it started with me and my son when he was two. No one will tell BMC story better than me. Nobody. So I'm just, anything to do with that and building it and building a community and serving Black people and all the things that I've learned and seen in the past eight years of running this organization, mm -hmm. I'm this, no, I'm this like, you can call me out on a lot of things, but you will never be able to call me out on that. So I think like, just know, mm -hmm. know who you are. And it's like, you didn't get in that room by accident. They didn't pick you because you were cute. I mean, I am right. cute. But you know, <laughs> like, yes. they, they didn't just say, you know what? She, she, I like her Instagram account. We're, we're going to invite her to this space. Right. They invited you for a reason because you belong there. Right. And I think knowing that, okay, the jitters, like do whatever you need to do, right? Listen to some music, whatever gets you focused, whatever, get, like, you know you best. Mm -hmm. And once you know you belong there, you know, you know what you got to do, you know, knock it out the park. And sometimes athletes have bad days, but sometimes they have great days. Right. I love that. So much, so much gems in there. So much nuggets in there. You just you're dripping in them right now. So my, my final question for you, Tanya, um, what do you think is the, the best lesson you've learned from overcoming difficult moments in your life or conquering failure? What do you think is the best lesson you've learned from those experiences in your life? Um, with age comes wisdom mm. and a different way of looking at things. Um, you know, losing my mom has made me, um, put so much emphasis on like wanting to travel more. I was just like, I get to see the world with my son. I didn't get to make memories with him that he's going to have forever. Um, I don't get to do that with my mom. So right. I'm just like, life is short. Life is so short and it is not promised. And we know that, right. but until it affects you personally, mm -hmm. you don't think about it. You just wake up and go on your day to day and you scroll through your Instagram and you do whatever. And so I think for me, I'm just like, what's the lesson here? taking time to grieve a loss, a rejection. I think that's really important. I think we skip over the grief part a mm. lot because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm. We don't want to be vulnerable. If you can't be vulnerable with yourself, then that means you can't be vulnerable with others, mm. which means that you're not building authentic relationships because mm. building authentic relationships requires you to be vulnerable. Wow. It requires you to not only say, how can I serve you, but also to be able to say, I need help with X. And I'm terrible with that. Ask me for help? Oh, God, that's that's my anti-superpower. It's terrible. Right. But I also have not gotten to where I have gotten in the rooms, um, 
everything is as a result of other people saying, I'm rooting for her and I want to see her do well. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Ultimately, not everyone can help me get everything that I want. But I think at the end of the day, I'm like, I try to live by putting out good energy. So in that way, people um, put it into me. Right. I love that. And uh, Yeah, I think that you're never going to be able to avoid failure. Right. Um, trust your instincts. If something's not, ask yourself, why are you so hard pressed? Like, again, the whole me with my Instagram, and I'm like, oh, I want to get my followers up and I want to whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do I need to do that? Or is that because I'm on Instagram and I see what other people are doing and I want what they have and I want, I don't have time for that. I legitimately, I was just like, I want no parts. That's why Twitter is my favorite platform. It's a hundred, it's 200 some odd characters. I, words are my are my love language. I love words. And Instagram is a visual platform. So it doesn't make any sense. And that right. I'm like I'm trying to fit myself into something for for vanity purposes. That right. doesn't make any sense. That's not you. Mm-hmm. Just show what you're doing. Just be like, hey, y'all, I went to this thing and you should check this out. And let me yeah. amplify this black owned brand. And I'm just like, I'm wearing a black owned lipstick and I'm wearing a black purse. And this is where I got my dress from. And you should go get it there. I don't need to gatekeep. Mm-hmm. What, it's not going to ever take if it's not taking food off my plate money out of my bank account it's not hurting my son i'm gonna share what i'm doing i'm gonna share what right. i know share where i got that thing i'm gonna share what that restaurant is i'm gonna share that contact if i have it right because putting out good energy to the world you will get it back mm-hmm. i love that and really quickly um i'm just curious to know mm-hmm. is there a mantra or a quote that you live by Not particularly, but one of the affirmations that I mm-hmm. adopted uh, in the last five years is money will always find me when I need it. Because mm. sometimes, again, in those Serb days, don't have a business, don't, not employ right. days. I was like, mm. right. who, who, when, how? Um, but if I firmly, firmly believed it, yeah, that's when CBC would call me like, hey, do you want to do some interviews? Or, hey, Cottage Life is like, we want you to do a feature story. And I'm just like, that was the universe always taking care of me. Because yeah. money will always find me when I need it. Because mm. I'm in a position where I cannot feed my son. Ever. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's one for me. Um, right. Not to let money lead me, but that's one that um, I don't just say it in words. I feel it. And I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I love that. I love that. So Tanya, so for the people that would like to you know, work with you, hire you to speak at their event or collaborate with you or be a part of your groups? Um, how can they find you? How, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. Uh, from a Black Moms Connection standpoint, uh, easy peasy Black Moms Connection. We're on Instagram. The Facebook group still exists. So if you're still on the blue app, uh, <laughs> uh, groups uh, Black Moms Connection yeah. we do take a minute to approve people because we gatekeep we go to your profile we check to see if someone wish you a happy Mother's Day do you got a Black mother or grandmother or something mm-hmm. right? we make sure that you have Black parentage and you are a Black parent um, so leave my door Melage alone if it's taking a minute mm-hmm. um, so that's Black Moms Connection for me personally I'm on the things uh, tannyhales.com I'm the Tanya Hales on the Instagrams. I'm Tanya Hales on the Twitter. I tweet a lot. Tweet a lot. 
Um, and that's where I be in these streets. Also, <laughs> I'm, I'm occasionally sassy on the LinkedIn too. Ah, uh, amazing. Well, Tanya, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, even though we went down the political, uh, the political wormhole a little bit. But I, I love, I love the authenticity that you bring. I love the fact that you don't hold back, and I love the fact that you you broach those difficult conversations. You say those things that might be uncomfortable to hear, but is is kind of necessary in the space for all for all of us to grow. If we truly want to live in a multicultural society, then we're gonna have to able to say things that are not so easy to say but guys as you guys always know i like to end with you know if you want to impress people just talk about your wins and your accolades you know the shiny objects you have in your house yada 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 but if you really want to impact another person's life talk about those down periods those transgressions those those failures that you went through and the lessons that you you learn from those experiences that's how you really move the needle in someone else's life so with that being said uh, Tanya and myself are out and don't forget to check us out on the Alive Podcast Network. Peace and love. Black-wise. 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 Black-wise.